This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. Do you know what I really want you to tell the people? Oh, no. About Roscoe. Do you remember Roscoe? Yeah, I think it was Rocco, the squirrel that got loose in the Mexican restaurant. In the Casa LA. This is this is how I knew I would be friends with Mogab forever. She just throws this out there. I said something like, oh, that squirrel over there is really cute. And she goes, I had a pet squirrel named Rocco once, but it got loose in Casa LA. My brother let it loose. It was in a shoebox. And we brought it into the Casa LA and he took the lid off. You owe me one squirrel, big brother. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. All right, you ready, to, you ready to talk about a murder? I guess that's why you bring me here. Apparently. So I know you'll be shocked to hear that this story is pretty straightforward. I don't believe you. <laughs> it's just a straightforward murder story. Totally straightforward. No twists or turns at all. Today, I'm going to tell you about the murder of Julie Kibuishi. Hmm. All right. She seems nice. (sighs) She does seem nice. They all seem nice, you know? Yeah. It's May 22nd, 2010, when a call comes in to 911 in Costa Mesa, California. So we're out of Missouri, which is nice. Thank God. Costa Mesa is a town in Orange County that gets like one to two homicides a year. Really safe place. And this call was from a man so frantic that the 911 dispatcher had a hard time understanding him. He repeated his words and they were chilling. Oh, please don't tell me. There's a body in my son's apartment. A dead body. The man on the phone was Steve Hare who'd gone to his son Sam's apartment looking for him. He hadn't seen Sam in a while, and he was getting worried. 
Sam had even ditched out on plans they'd had. He was supposed to go over to his parents' house for the weekend, and Steve had been trying to call and confirm those plans, but Sam hadn't answered his phone. It just kept going straight to voicemail. How old is Sam? He's 26. Oh, that's okay. I was trying to figure out if he was past the, like, I'm going to scream my parents' phone calls phase. 26, that's a... Right. Not exactly to where you call your parents every day, you know? No, but they had plans that weekend. He was supposed to go and stay with them. And then he kept calling and the phone kept going straight to voicemail like the phone was turned off. But Sam never turned his phone off. And this really worried Steve. He went to his apartment and instead of his son, Steve found the body of a dead woman. Steve told the dispatcher that he didn't know who the woman was and he didn't know where his son was. There was no sign of him in the apartment. That is not what you want. No. So police rushed to the Camden Martinique apartment complex, which was a really large, really nice complex that catered towards young adults. Kind of sounds like a college type apartment complex. A lot of partying, hooking up, that kind of thing. I want no part in that. I did 10 years ago, you know, but... (laughs) Police quickly located the crime scene, and the apartment was relatively clean. Just some beer bottles on the patio, but no sign of a struggle. The woman was in Sam's bedroom, lying face down, partially across the bed with her legs on the floor, and there was a gunshot wound to the back of her head. Her pants were pulled slightly down, and she was wearing a tiara on her head. On the back of the sweater she was wearing, in black Sharpie, was written, all yours. Fuck you. It looks like an obvious case of domestic violence, maybe a love triangle, and it seems like their killer, Sam Hare, had made a run for it. Police quickly found the woman's purse in the kitchen with an ID inside and identified the woman as Julie Kibuishi, a 23-year-old dancer and college student at the Orange County School of the Arts. Hmm. She was described as a kind-hearted person, a free spirit, and an amazing dancer. Everyone said she was spectacular to watch on stage. She was born on Valentine's Day in 1987, and she started dancing very young. Wait. Oh, this was in 2010. I was like, I was also born in 1987. I am not 23. Got it. No, you're not. You were then. Okay. (laughs) You're older than me. Okay. I am less than a year older than you, okay? We are the same age for like five days a year, all right? right. So get over yourself. I'm trying. They said her dancing seemed like a spiritual connection to the music. She was described by everyone as compassionate, bubbly, bright, vivacious, always willing to help a friend. She just had a zest for life. Go ahead and copy and paste that for if anything ever happens to me. I want that same list of adjectives. I know. Aren't those great? Bubbly, bright, vivacious, compassionate. Just like me. (laughs) Yeah. We have so much in common. Julie met Sam Hare while she was studying fashion in college. He was a few years older than her. She was 23 and he was 26. And they had a class together at the college. She told her mom that Sam was a big guy, but that he was like a teddy bear. He'd been a combat veteran in Afghanistan and was very close with his parents. Everyone said he was a great guy. But this great guy is now the prime suspect in Julie's murder. And investigators immediately began the search for Sam Hare. They started piecing together the events of the night before, and they discovered that earlier that night, on Friday, May 21st, 2010, Julie had gone to dinner with her brother, Taka, and she was ecstatic because he'd asked her to be in his upcoming wedding, and he'd even given her a tiara that she was still wearing when she died. (gasps) I know. While police are in the apartment, Julie's phone started ringing, and her ringtone was a Taylor Swift song. Oh, girl. You Which know one? she was cool. I knew you were going to ask me that. And I was like, what? why didn't I write it down? Why didn't I write it down? Why but I wouldn't can't... you know that? <laughs> uh, it was 2010. Think... It's probably. Love story. Yeah. I think it was love story. Police searched through Julie's phone and they found texts back and forth between Sam and Julie that painted the picture of a volatile relationship. Oh, no. Earlier that day, he'd texted Julie saying he was downstairs helping his neighbor Dan with some stuff, and then he was headed to his parents' house. But a few hours later, the tone of Sam's texts changed. 
He suddenly sounded on edge, and it seemed like he was in a really dark place. He sent Julie a text that said, Can you come over tonight at midnight alone? Going out for a bit. Very upset. Need to talk. A minute later, he sent another text saying, Please don't tell anyone. Please. And then another that said, Please. No sex. I need to talk to someone. I'm really not doing well. He said he was hurting from some bad family crap. And Julie responded saying, Yeah, that's fine, Sam. I'm here for you. Like family. Huh. There were also several missed calls from Julie's mom, June Kibuishi, who had been desperately trying to get a hold of Julie since she'd woken up that morning and realized Julie had never come home the night before. Investigators interviewed Sam's dad, Steve, the person that had made the 911 call, and he was adamant his son had not done that. But police looked into Sam's background, and they found that eight years before, he'd been arrested and charged with the murder of 19-year-old Byron Benito. I'm sorry, who had? Sam. Had been charged with the murder. Arrested and charged. Byron had been the victim of a gang killing, beaten by a group with crowbars and stabbed 33 times. And Sam Hare was accused of luring Byron to his death because they were close friends. And he'd made some incriminating statements to the police, but his lawyers had managed to get those incriminating statements thrown out, and he'd been acquitted of the charges. I'm not really sure of his connection to this gang. I don't think that he was a member of the gang. I think he was just a friend of this guy, Byron Benito. Hmm. So once police find out about this, the case seemed cut and dry. It was like a neon sign pointing to Sam saying, here is your killer. Sam's mm -hmm. texts make it obvious that he was in a really dark place and he'd snapped and killed Julie. Now they just needed to find him. Sam Hare was 26 years old and an army combat veteran who had outwitted the Taliban. And they knew that he wouldn't be easy to catch. They put an all-points bulletin out for Sam and set out to track a killer on the loose. Police knew that after Sam got back from the war, he started showing some signs of PTSD. It was a very traumatic experience, and that meant that they could be looking for someone dangerous. The murder weapon hadn't been left at the scene, so he was also armed. They started looking into Sam's connection to Julie. They assumed that she was his girlfriend, but they're not sure who that message on her sweater was for. Another guy? Was it for them, the police? And the text of like, yeah, I'm here for you, like, family. I mean, I guess you could still say that to someone you're romantically involved with, but. But you usually wouldn't. Right. Like, that's like, not like, really what you would say to a boyfriend. Yeah, like, I'm here for you, I love you, or like, of course, I care about you, or. But not, I'm I, here for you, like, family. I'm not, Like, family I, is like a brother. Right. Yeah. I'm not convinced. I mean, I know we still have a long way to go, but if this is full of twists and turns, I don't think it's him. I told you it's a very straightforward story. No oh, twists okay. and turns. Very straight, just straight down okay, the road. Well, I just thought you were... We're driving down smoke. this one road. No twists and turns. Okay, great. I can't wait. Sounds like a very thrilling road trip. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's passport was missing. His car was missing. And Steve Hare, Sam's dad, was really worried. He knew that Sam was not a killer, and he had access to Sam's bank accounts. He noticed that there was recent activity at a bank nearby in Long Beach, which is about half an hour north of Costa Mesa. So Steve gets out, he goes, and he tries to find Sam. He's going to hotels, he's surveilling ATMs for hours, and then he gets an alert from the bank saying that his card was being used right then at a pizza place. So he drives to the pizza place looking for Sam's car. Pizza party. Why is there always a pizza party? I don't know. You pick them. <laughs> there are just certain things that you don't expect to keep popping up. <laughs> in <laughs> Food and murder? I guess I don't so. know. Yeah. Meanwhile, police are also tracking Sam's credit cards, and they've seen the same activity. So they pull the security camera footage from the two ATMs that it was used at in Long Beach, but it's not Sam on the video, and they have no idea who it is. A downstairs neighbor of Sam's had been interviewed, and he said that he'd been with Sam before he went missing, and that Sam had been with some guy in a black hat, but he hadn't known who it was. So Was that are Dan that they interviewed? Yes. Uh-huh. That was okay. Dan. 
So police are wondering if this is the individual on the ATM camera, but they can't be sure. The person on the footage looks really young, like a teenager, and police are very confused. Then police notice the same activity at the pizza place, so they speed over and they're actually able to find the delivery driver en route delivering the pizza (gasps) to whoever used Sam's card. So they pull the driver over, they confirm it's the same card, get the delivery address, and set up their plan. Do they deliver the pizza? Yes. But also, (laughs) that is a funny story because they don't actually deliver the pizza. But I did see a a video of a police officer that had pulled over a delivery driver and he'd had warrants, so he arrested him. So the police officer went and made the delivery for (laughs) Stop it. Please put Mm -hmm. that in the show notes also so I can watch. (laughs) I will. I'll send it to you. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's amazing. (laughs) Yes. So at the house, they're expecting to find a cornered, violent, mentally unstable army combat veteran more than likely armed. Like it could be a dangerous situation. The FBI is there. SWAT is there in full tactical gear. A helicopter is in the air and they surround the house ready to bust in. A team goes up to the door. Knox and a 17-year-old kid named Wesley Fralick answers the door. Okay. Wesley. Wesley. Sam is nowhere in sight, but Wesley is terrified. They get everyone out of the house, and they order Wesley on the ground. They handcuff him, arrest him, and then search the house to make sure Sam isn't in there hiding somewhere. They don't find Sam, but they do find his debit card. Okay. Police recognize Wesley as the person in the ATM photos, but they immediately rule him out as a suspect in the murder. Wesley says he doesn't even know Sam Hare. He got the card from a guy named Daniel Wozniak. He said Daniel had given him the credit card, telling him that Sam owed money to a bail bondsman, and he'd asked him to help them get the money. He'd shown Wesley a folder of paperwork that showed that it was all legal and good to go, and all they needed to do was get the money. Daniel told him he needed to wear a hat and glasses, and he'd persuaded him to get $800 out of the account. He'd even driven West to the ATMs. Daniel had been like a mentor for Wesley in the theater community, and he'd been kind of like a big brother to him, and he was just a 17-year-old kid. Wait, I feel like I'm confused. Daniel is separate than Dan. So investigators now have a new question. Who the hell is Daniel Wozniak? I'm going to answer your question. Okay. The name sounded somewhat familiar because there'd been an invitation to the wedding of a Daniel Wozniak lying on Sam's kitchen counter. He'd even been interviewed already. He was the downstairs neighbor with the story Uh. about seeing Sam with the other guy in the black hat. Daniel's fiance, Rachel, told police the same thing, that Sam had come downstairs to their apartment with this guy she'd never seen before who was wearing a black hat and that they'd left together. Hmm. So police start looking into Daniel and they find out he's a 26-year-old community theater actor who lives in Costa Mesa. Friends describe Daniel as gregarious and fun, very likable, the life of the party. He was engaged to a woman named Rachel Buffett who was a former Disney princess, no idea which one, Uh. and she was also a fellow (laughs) actor. You can't just start cutting me off at the pass on the questions. Okay, obviously you know which one. What color was her hair? Okay, she was blonde, but they wear wigs. She could have been Tinkerbell because she was kind of little. She could have been Cinderella, I guess. Tinkerbell's not a princess. She could have been Ariel. Yeah, but they they consider her, like, they consider all the characters princesses. Okay, well, we won't get on that soapbox. I actually don't know if that's true, so Disney adults don't <laughs> come for me. <laughs> They're, you're going to get, like, a statement from them. It's cease and desist. But they do not wear wigs. They must. Ariel's hair is a wig. And yes. Tinkerbell, it goes in that little bloop, bun. Wig. He was engaged to a woman named Rachel Buffett, who was a former Disney princess and a fellow actor with Daniel, and they were actually set to get married a couple of days after the murders. 
Police finally tracked Daniel down at his bachelor party in Huntington Beach. They were in a private room at a restaurant there. And <laughs> literally, they were like, they knew his bachelor party was going on this night. And they were just driving up and down Huntington Beach, like going into all of these establishments looking for a bachelor party. That's great. So police walk in and they arrest Daniel Wozniak in the middle of his bachelor party. Oh, I would. This is like mm-hmm. the hangover. Mm-hmm. Yes. Police could immediately tell by Daniel's reaction that he was involved in this case somehow. The detective said his face turned white the second they made eye contact. Police thought he had maybe helped Sam get away somehow. So they bring him into the police station in Costa Mesa for questioning. Daniel knew Sam because they both lived at the Camden Martinique apartment complex. It was described as like a very Melrose Place type complex, but much larger. The kind of place where everyone hung out, partied together, lots of hooking up in the complex, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Most of the people were under 25, so it just sounds like a college apartment complex. And Daniel lived below Sam. One of the first things Daniel said when they brought him in was, I'm going to tell you everything because I'm sick of covering for Sam. Oh. Daniel denied any involvement in Julie's murder. He says he had the credit card because of a scam that he and Sam had cooked up together. He'd take Sam's card, give it to Wesley, take money out of Sam's account, and Sam would call it into the credit card company as stolen. Detectives couldn't figure out why Sam would pay Daniel to steal his own money. It just sounded weird. Because then he would get it back, maybe. And then he'd have, like, double. Yeah, but he could just, couldn't he just do that himself? Why does he need Daniel to do it? Especially if Daniel's not doing anything. It's going to be Wesley getting it out of the ATM. Like, <laughs> damn, Daniel. Damn, Daniel. I don't know why we sound so hick. (laughs) Dan said that the first ATM withdrawal had been Friday, the day before Julie's body was found. He said the next morning on Saturday, Sam showed up at his apartment and told him there's a dead body in the apartment and that he shot somebody in a fit of rage and that she'd had it coming. Dan's exact words in this interview were... Sam told me after I left, he started doing some drugs and drinking heavily because he was very depressed about his family. That's Which when I watched that. Likely story. Likely story. Just seems like a weird way to say that. Like very formal. Mm-hmm. He started doing some drugs and drinking heavily because he was very depressed. I don't know. Yeah. Sounds weird. It does sound weird. It doesn't sound Like, natural. I don't know. He asked Sam what he did, and Sam said that he asked her for sex. She said no, so he got a gun and shot her twice in the head. And Sam Mm. said he threatened to kill Dan and Rachel if he didn't help him. But then, when he tells the same story again, this time he said that Sam told him he'd done something bad and they needed to get out of there, and he didn't tell Dan about the body in his apartment until they were in the car driving away. Daniel said all he did was drop Sam off at a shopping center because, in his words, that's the safest place to go where no one's going to be looking for you, which made sense to absolutely nobody. Okay. Cool. (laughs) So if you ever commit murder and you want to get away, go to the mall. (laughs) Yeah. That's what Dan thinks. I never go. I haven't been to this mall that's two miles up the road and I've lived here for two years. I mean, I know it's been COVID, but no, I'm never going to the mall. That does kind of suck that like one whole year of your two years living there has been COVID. I know. But yeah, if Sam is trying to run away after a murder, why would he go to a very public place with cameras and then and then what? What what would happen after that? What would be his plan? But Dan, Does he want to be seen on camera for some reason? Like an alibi almost? No, because this is after the murder. Yeah. So why would he want to do that? But Dan said he never saw him again. Dan also admitted that he made up the guy in the black baseball cap from that first interview when they were just interviewing him as a neighbor of Sam, as a potential witness. Hmm. But... Rachel had also told police about this made-up person, which now gets the police's spidey senses tingling toward Rachel, too. Love spidey senses. 
Police think Daniel knows exactly where Sam is, so they start leaning on him a little bit more. They tell Daniel they're going to take a DNA swab to eliminate him as a suspect, and Daniel looks really nervous. He laughs as they do it like it's going to hurt. Like when they swab his cheek, he's like, oh, that's it? Oh, that's painless. And he's laughing like he's trying to joke around with the officer. He's nervous. He's so nervous. And he suddenly looks so relieved. Like you can tell he thinks he's about to go home. He thinks it's over. He thinks they're eliminating him as a suspect. But they're not. No. Daniel seems to be under the impression that if, if he just tells the police that he helped Sam, but that Sam was the one who killed Julie, that he'll be free and clear. But newsflash, Dan. It is also against the law to help someone get away after they've committed a murder. I could see why he would be confused, though, because unfortunately that does happen. Right. At the very least, it's called accessory after the fact. So, yes. Newsflash. Don't do it, everyone. (laughs) Newsflash. Don't do it. And after that, unless... You come to me because I got ideas. Stop <laughs> it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't come to me. I don't ever want to I don't ever want to follow I you on any of these ideas. <laughs> literally have nothing to add to that conversation. So. <laughs> You're on your own. <laughs> After that DNA swab, Daniel's story starts to change. And suddenly he becomes the prime suspect in both Sam's disappearance. And the murder of Julie Kibuishi. Good. Sam's murder, too. Mm. Now he says he was actually in Sam's apartment Friday afternoon. And he knows he used the bathroom. And maybe he went on the patio. Like and he's maybe off- he showered to get all the blood off. <laughs> and maybe he's making sure his DNA is all over that little hotbed. I'm so proud of my little newbie. I know. I've learned so much. You're really catching on to these idiot murders tips and tricks. I just can't believe there's so many of them. I know. He, yes, is obviously worried that his DNA is going to show up in the apartment and he's trying to explain it all away. The police think he knows more and they tell him so. And Dan says, look, I want to help you guys. Ask me questions. Help me fill in the gaps. And they say, (laughs) okay. What was your participation in Julie's death and Sam's disappearance? And Daniel says, yes, I helped him get away. Yes, Uh, I knew he had killed someone. Detectives tell him, remember, we have your DNA. Where are we going to see that? Are we going to see that on Julie? Daniel says, no, you won't see it on Julie. I'm positive about that. I never saw her in the apartment. But detectives don't believe him. And they say, if he won't tell them the whole story, they are putting him under arrest for accessory to murder. Great. Do it. (laughs) And Daniel says he'll tell them whatever they want if it gets him to his wedding on Friday. Oh, I forgot about that. (laughs) Rachel. Rachel will be pissed. I feel like you're involved also, but Mm. do yourself a favor And try and get as many items refunded as possible. (laughs) She cannot marry him. No. And then he starts freaking out. He starts screaming that he doesn't know anything. And they tell him, Daniel, you're not that good of an actor. It had become apparent to detectives that Daniel was a very arrogant guy and that he thought he was just going to be able to act his way out of this because apparently leading men in community theater are really hard to come by. So Daniel thought he was kind of a big deal. It's like the guy that goes to improv. Yes, yes. But unfortunately (laughs) for Daniel, improv wasn't really his thing. And... (laughs) So he needs a script, you know? And so now Daniel's whole demeanor has changed. He's defensive. He's angry. But police think it's all an act. They say it looks like this guy is on stage. And if you watch footage from his shows, because they had footage from his, like, theater shows, you can see the exact same inflection he uses when he's acting on stage that he's showing here in this interview. I hate him. Oh, he's the worst. And he's, 
he says, okay, fine. Yes. He didn't come down to me. He called help from upstairs. So I ran upstairs. And yes, I saw the effing body. Is that what you want to hear? Yeah, yes, actually it is. Sounds yeah. a lot more. <laughs> Detectives say, Beautiful. we just want to hear the truth. But now police know that he was in the apartment with Julie's body. They can tell he's about to crack. So they bluff. I mean, they that doesn't tell, even take very long. This is like his second in- interview. This is all the first. In- he's still in okay, his clothes. I mean, he's still in his terrible Hawaiian T-shirt from his bachelor party. I just, I don't know. I expected more from him. <laughs> uh, he's not great. So they tell him his DNA was found on Julie's body. They're bluffing. And just so everyone out there knows this, police are allowed to lie about stuff like this. So if you are actually innocent and you know that there's no possible way your DNA could have gotten on a body, just know that they're lying and don't sit there and try to come up with some explanation because that's when things go south and that's one way wrongful convictions happen. So That's actually if, really good to know. I didn't know that they could lie about that. And yes. I mean, I guess they can, but. Yes. They will tell you, we found your DNA. It's on the body. And you can say, that's literally impossible. I wasn't there. You must be wrong. And they're going to try to convince you, nope, DNA doesn't lie. DNA doesn't lie. But police do sometimes. So just tell the truth and don't try to come up with stuff. Just don't kill people. There's that. Well, but I'm saying if you're innocent, like if you didn't do it, but also don't kill people. And if you do, don't cuddle with the body. (laughs) Don't cuddle the corpse. No corpse cuddle. And don't make out with your boyfriend afterwards. I mean, there's just a whole list of things. People start thinking that they actually did do it if their DNA was found on the body, and then they confess to something they didn't do. So Daniel says his DNA got on her because he was right over her body. And police are like, okay, well, DNA doesn't just fall off. So how did it get on the body? Which I'm pretty sure DNA does fall off. I was just about to say, like, skin cells, hair. My hair falls off, like, you see the floors. But, you know, not a scientist. That was not my best subject. <laughs> and Daniel says, I don't know. I didn't touch her. So they ask him what he saw. And he says, I saw two gunshots in the back of her head. I saw her pants ripped and cut. And I saw F.U. written on the back of her shirt. And this is what gets police. Julie had very thick, long, black hair. And through her hair... Only one of the bullet wounds was visible. That's all police could see. And it wasn't until later that they discovered that she'd actually been shot twice. So how'd he know they were there? They ask him, where were the two bullet wounds? And he says, I don't know. Sam told me he shot her twice. And they say, well, you just said you saw the bullet wounds. Yeah. Uh That's exactly what you just said. And they read him back to him (laughs) what he said. Uh, I I saw her with two bullet wounds. There's a transcript, Daniel. (laughs) There's a transcript. And they tell him, you can't even keep your lies straight. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. 
pros.com slash creepers. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. And so now police know that Daniel was more involved in Julie's murder than just Sam's getaway driver, but they still don't know how involved. Daniel says he's done. He's refusing to talk anymore. He wants to go back to his jail cell. Can't keep your lies straight. Go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead. So police end the interview. They take him to his cell and Daniel calls his fiance, Rachel Buffett. And this phone call, like, wow. Obviously, the call is being recorded, Daniel. Oh, Daniel. <laughs> just transcript. <laughs> so Rachel asked Daniel what he did. And Daniel said, I helped Sam cover some stuff up and I helped him get some drugs. That's it. I didn't murder anyone. But then Rachel says, look, my mom is already canceling all the wedding plans. And I just talked to your brother, Tim, and he told me some stuff that I need to tell detectives. And so Daniel asked what it is. And Rachel says, Tim said that he, Tim, the brother, Daniel's brother, Mm -hmm. said he had evidence with him or maybe knew where it was. And Daniel says, then I'm doomed. (gasps) He says he knows Tim has evidence and he just keeps repeating, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And Rachel's like, this is ridiculous. I need to tell detectives the truth. And Daniel begs her not to. He says, Rachel. Rachel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He says that evidence Tim has cannot be found, and he sounds panicked. It was the first time that Daniel had really shown any true emotion. And on the phone call, Rachel seemed very cool, calm, collected. She said, no, I'm going to do it. She doesn't want it to look like she's trying to cover for him. Daniel asked Rachel to trust him. And she says, you know this phone call is being recorded, right? (laughs) (laughs) She tells him that he's being an absolute ass to try and lie again. And Daniel says, I have to tell the truth on what I did. And I think you now know what it is, and it's bad. Imagine the worst, and that's what I did. Why? Why, though? And how is Sam in this? After the phone call, Daniel says he's ready to talk to detectives again. They bring him into the interview room, and he tells them, I'm crazy, and I did it. I killed Julie, and I killed Sam. (gasps) I knew it. Mm -hmm. Because I am not a newbie anymore. (laughs) I'm a true crime intermediate. (laughs) What is the motive? He says he killed Sam first, and that it was all just about the money. That's it. But that wasn't it. He says he decapitated Sam. And they can find him in a theater at the military base. They'll find him there without his head, hands, and an arm that had a tattoo on it. And he says that he is the one that did it. They'd find the body parts at a nature center. Police asked him what was going on in his mind as he cut off Sam's body parts. And he said he was smiling and laughing. Ew. He was so cold. He showed no emotion as he told police what he did. (sighs) So this is what he says happened. He'd asked Sam for a favor to help him move some boxes in a theater attic at a nearby military base. Sam was helping him out, just doing something nice for him. 
And when his back was turned, Daniel shot him in the back of the head with his father's gun. Wait, Daniel is also in the military? No, he's in the theater. So he was like at the theater. But I thought it, who asked who for help? Daniel asked Sam for help. Oh, I thought it said something about a military theater. The the theater was on, was at the base. Oh, I didn't know that you could use it if you weren't in the military, I guess. Well, I don't either. And Sam's not in the military anymore. He is, um, he's been out for a while. So I don't know, like, I don't know. Okay. I just didn't know if Daniel, why Daniel would be, okay. So Daniel asks Sam for help. Sam goes to help and Daniel shoots him. In the back of the head. Yep. And Sam didn't die right away. He said, I need help. Something hit me. It felt like electric shock. And Daniel reloaded the gun and shot him in the head again. I don't understand. I don't understand people. I don't understand people. I know. Sam was described as a very easygoing, very outgoing, the life of the party kind of guy who just had a passion for everything. Very Mm -hmm. happy-go-lucky, always smiling, always laughing. He'd volunteered to go to one of the most dangerous places in the world, Fort Keating in Afghanistan, and he is a war hero. When they would take on fire, it could last for hours, and one guy would have to run through enemy fire to keep the generators going. And Sam was that guy. He'd made it through that, but not through helping Daniel effing Wozniak unpack boxes? Yes. The whole world is angry. (laughs) He'd saved his combat pay, and he was going to use that for college. Hmm. After he was acquitted of that gang killing, he'd gotten away from that bad crowd that he'd been hanging around with. He joined the army and became a highly decorated veteran. He tried to do the right thing, and he tried to live his life in a good way. And regardless of what he'd done in his past, he had a promising future stolen from him by this asshole for no good reason. He'd met Julie at their school, and she'd started tutoring Sam in anthropology, and they developed a really close friendship, but it was never romantic, as far as anyone knew. When his oh, parents- I loved my anthropology class. Did you take anthropology? Mm-hmm. Ugh. I was so good at Texas State. I wish I'd taken it. I, I wish I'd taken it. I remember it. nothing. Like I don't even really know what it is anymore, but it was great. It's the study of culture. and Yeah, that's yeah. culture. It was great. They developed a really close friendship, but it was never romantic as far as anyone knew. And when his parents asked him about Julie, he said she was like his kid sister. (laughs) After Daniel killed Sam, he went to Fullerton for a performance in the musical Nine. And he acts his little heart out like everything is normal. Like Like, right after. Like right after. Yeah, same day. Right that night. Like he hadn't just shot a guy that morning. He's laughing. He's singing. He's dancing. And then after the play, he decides he needs to come up with a cover story for Sam. He was going to frame Sam for Julie's murder so police would think that he was on the run. So he sends Uh. Julie those weird texts from Sam's cell phone to lure her to Sam's apartment. When she arrived, Sam wasn't home. And Daniel, the downstairs neighbor, comes up and he's like, oh, hey, I have a key. So they go into the apartment and he points to the bed and he says, oh, did you see this? And when she was bent over looking at nothing, he shot her twice in the head. I just I can't get over that. Like. I'm so creeped out thinking about how anytime I get a text from someone, I just assume it's them. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like She definitely thought Sam was going to be there like. Which is why I'm so disappointed in myself that I didn't notice your use of an emoticon earlier today (laughs) and immediately become suspicious that it wasn't you. (laughs) Well, you should know I'm like a 95-year-old, so (laughs) get suspicious if I use an emoji. Okay. So then Daniel works on staging the crime scene to go with this story of Sam on the run. But then his dumb ass still uses the credit card. Yeah. Yeah. For Pete, no, for pizza? Yeah, for, for pizza. pizza. Yeah, he orders pizza. Well, Wesley ordered pizza, but he left the card with a 17 year old kid, so. Right. 
So Saturday morning, he gets up, he goes back to the military base. And yeah, I don't know how he has access to this base. But he cuts off Sam's head and arm and dumps them in a nature center. He had the body parts in plastic trash bags, put them in a backpack, went to the nature center. He buried them in shallow holes. Like, could you imagine going to the park and finding a head or an arm? Oh, my God. No. No. That's why I don't go to parks. That's why I don't go explore nature. Next time my friend's like, you want to go hike? No, No. I don't want to find a dead body. Stay inside. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) The day he was found was Sam's 27th birthday. Ooh. I know. And his dad said the day of his birthday, instead of getting to celebrate with him, the only thing that he was hoping for was that they would find his son's head. Ew. Oh my God, this is really sad. Not that it's okay that he's murdered, but why does it have to be so like gruesome? I know. I think. Like, what was the point of that? I think so that they couldn't identify the body. Like, he specifically cut off the arm that had the tattoo on it. He cut yeah, off his head. Yeah, except that then you confessed same day. Like, you couldn't even <laughs> hold it together enough. Right. Like, it took you more time to do all that than it. <sighs> yeah, I just don't think they. I, I think he thought that he was too smart, that he'd done it all, and that they wouldn't ever tie it to him. Because then Daniel went to perform the final show of the play he was cast in. After he'd been spreading body parts around this park, he goes, performs in this show. And afterwards, since the show was closing, they had a cast party. And he's there laughing and drinking, having a great time, not a care in the world. And then goes to his bachelor party. And then goes to his bachelor party. And then police find this evidence that Rachel had talked about on the phone. The evidence that... the evidence she said Daniel's brother Tim had. Yeah, what was that? Daniel had given Tim a duffel bag full of stuff like the murder weapon, expended shell casings, the victim's financial records, credit cards, and passports. He told Tim to get rid of it, but Tim <laughs> apparently, sweet, sweet, sweet Tim, wasn't the sharpest tool and he didn't know what to do. So he just threw the duffel bag over the fence at his parents' house. Uh, <laughs> Bless his Did heart. Did he know what was in the bag? Did he know what was in there? Um, I don't think so. I don't think he did. Yeah, I'm definitely opening the bag. Yeah, somebody gives you a duffel bag and says, hey, get rid of this. Open the bag, you guys. Yeah. Or just drive straight to the police station. Or say no. <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah. I'd rather not. I'd rather Thanks, not. Thanks, though. Yeah, just get rid of your own damn evidence. <laughs> evidence. He's, like, including all these people, like, poor Wesley. Yeah. Daniel had said this whole thing was just about the money. Specifically, he means the $60,000 that Sam had gotten for serving in the military. Daniel never could keep a job. He had no money. And he couldn't keep up the lies much longer to Rachel about his financial situation. And also, Daniel really wanted to take Rachel on a Royal Caribbean cruise for their honeymoon. (laughs) Okay, wait. Right. Did, yeah, we'll address that. Did Rachel, what is his financial situation? Like, Rachel's getting married to him. Does she not know that he doesn't have a job, can't hold a job? How do you have a wedding if you can't have a job? That's kind of what it sounded like to me, that he was just like, getting more and more in debt. He couldn't keep a job. He was just performing in these community theater plays, which like pays nothing. Yeah. And that's all he wanted to do. And so obviously he needed the money that Sam had earned, you know, at war. And then he basically had to kill Julie to cover up for Sam's murder. Like that's the only reason Julie died was because he's trying to frame the other person he murdered for her murder. With another one, mm-hmm. which he didn't even, I mean, he he let out details on a recorded phone call. This right. is the stupidest criminal I've ever heard of. <laughs> so stupid. He killed two people because he wanted Sam's money so he could go on vacation. And by vacation, you mean a Royal Caribbean cruise. No right. offense to all the cruise people. Okay. I know there's like a community of like cruise people, but- sure. You know, but I'm not killing to go on one. And Daniel's Google searches, though, also showed that he searched for best all inclusive sandals. So he might have been going, <laughs> going to a sandals. 
<laughs> God. He also searched for beach and theater destinations, how to fake thumbprints, how loud a shotgun is, and how to hide a body. Okay. How is that even a Google search? Like how to hide a body? I mean, I'm not going to Google search it, but what what are the results I've that Googled come up? I've Googled that many, many times. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, like, you're only going to jail now, sir. <laughs> Daniel really thought that he could get away with it. Like, he really thought that he was that good of an actor that there was no way that detectives just wouldn't believe him. They'd be out looking for Sam and they'd never find him because he'd set, done such a good job leaving him in an attic and spread out across a park. And then he used his credit cards like the next day. And then hid the evidence basically in his parents' backyard. <laughs> Just tossed it over the fence. He's such an idiot. I think the most dangerous people are really arrogant people that think they're mm -hmm. really smart when they're really not. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's quite a lot of those. <sighs> unfortunately. Detective solved this entire case within a week. Like, he did Good not honor. give them a big run for their money. But even though he'd given a full confession, he still pleaded not guilty. I don't know if the prosecutor just like refused to offer him a deal or what, since this was going to be a capital murder case, and they did seek the death penalty. Court proceedings kept the trial from taking place for five years, but when it finally started in September of 2016, the trial only lasted for five days. So what takes that much time just getting everything ready and all of the like what takes five years i think that there were a lot of motions from his mm -hmm. defense and that kind of thing to try to keep this out keep that out and but mm -hmm. i'm not really i don't know what all these court proceedings were that took it that kept it but usually is that a typical time no because you have the right a constitutional right in the united states a to a trial a speedy trial and so he must have he must have signed a thing that said that he was waiving that right to a mm. speedy trial. And so I'd assume the only reason he'd do that is so that his defense could like get stuff in place and all of that. But I, I'm totally guessing on all of that. I, I really don't right. know. But the trial was quick and to the point. The defense had no opening statement, called no witnesses. And <laughs> in their closing arguments, they didn't even mention the word innocent. <laughs> So it doesn't sound like a whole lot of defending happening there. They did not ask for a not guilty verdict, and it took the jury one hour to find him guilty. The evidence against him was just so overwhelming. Uh, it's pretty clear that this trial wasn't about if he was guilty or not. Like, he was obviously like, guilty. Just get it, it, right. was a, it was about whether or not he deserved the death penalty. And how do you feel since you, I know, are opposed to the death penalty? Um... Mm -hmm. I am. I am strongly opposed to the death penalty. And so I, you know, I think it's barbaric and I don't think we should have it. I don't think it helps anything. Yada, yada, yada. Am I going to cry for Daniel Wozniak? <laughs> Not really. <Nah. laughs> okay. Fair. Yeah. So the prosecutor made a strong case for the death penalty. You know, Daniel had taken the lives of two wonderful people for the most selfish reason in the world. Money, not even that much money that he money that he was not entitled to at all. Like, go rob a bank. Jesus. I mean, don't. But and then he desecrated their remains. He tried to make it look like Julie had been raped. He dismembered Sam's body. Had Julie been raped? No, he just staged it. He just shot her in the back of the head. Hmm. The prosecutor said Dan treated Julie and Sam like trash. I don't understand the back of the sweater. What did it say again? All She's yours. all yours. Fuck you. Like, like he's really dramatic. He's yeah. just such a theater right. drama. Because he's trying to make And why would he put it on the back of the sweater? He's trying to make it look like Sam killed Julie because mm -hmm. she was messing around with some guy. Little did Daniel know, Julie wasn't even his girlfriend. Yeah. Like they weren't even together. Which, poor Julie. Then poor the defense attorney came out, and this was the best defense that Daniel got. The defense attorney said, he's not a monster. 
But like he is though, right? But like he yeah. is, dude. He he said, you know, he's helping other prisoners now and he deserves a chance to reform. He deserves to live. But the jurors, so he you know, can being keep making he- crappy plays. No. <laughs> right. The jurors, being the human beings that they are, they agonized over that decision far more than the guilty verdict. But in the end, in the quickest death penalty deliberation on record, they recommended the death penalty due to the victim impact statements. Mm. And this is a case that really shows how one person's horrific crimes can have an effect so widespread. The amount of people hurt in this case, it just extends forever. It's like ripples forever. Family and friends of both Sam and Julie, people like Wesley Fralick, who was 16 years old, 17 years old, looked up to Daniel Wozniak, trusted him. And that trust got him from no criminal record to getting handcuffed by the FBI on his front lawn. At 16, 17? Yeah, 17. That's crazy. Family and friends of Daniel Wozniak, his fiance Rachel, all hurt, all wondering if you can ever really know a person. How do you think that conversation's going around? Like now, five years later, she's out at the bar with her friends. Hey, remember when you were engaged? Like, how do you even, what even is that? Like, she's not at the bar with her friends. Oh. The family said, and we'll get to her. So the family said after the trial, they were finally able to just breathe a sigh of relief. With that verdict, they felt like they could finally move on as much as that was possible. Right. And California now has a moratorium on the death penalty. So Daniel Wozniak is not facing death at this time. But two years after the murder, in November of 2012, Rachel Buffett was arrested and charged with three counts of accessory after the fact and knowledge of a crime based on allegations that she had lied multiple times to police. She'd lied to them in that initial witness canvassing interview when she said she'd seen Sam with another unknown person in a black baseball cap. Mm -hmm. Rachel says that she only said that because her fiancé told her that he'd seen him, and it seemed really important in finding Sam, so she just said that he had been there. And she kept going back and forth saying, I don't think I ever said I saw him. I just said there was a guy with a black baseball hat because Daniel had told me that, and I thought that was true. That's kind of how she explains this. I could see that. I could too, yeah. And she told it she was actually on Dr. Phil telling her side, and she's like, it's as if he told me that he'd made a cup of coffee, and I hadn't seen it, but I would assume when I walk into the kitchen that I would see that cup of coffee. Like, I have no reason to think that He's lying about this cup mm-hmm. of coffee. And Dr. Phil said, that answer seems really rehearsed. Like, you've been working on that with your lawyer. <laughs> that was an amazing <laughs> Dr. Phil impression. That was a terrible Dr. Phil impression. I I need to I need to workshop my Dr. Phil a little oh. bit. That was off the cuff. I didn't have time to also prepare. Also, <laughs> another show that plays at my aunt's house on full volume at 4 p.m. during a weekday. Ah. What do you think of Dr. Phil? Uh, I've never really watched a whole lot of them. I mean, the one Dr. Phil episode was the Cash Me Outside girl. Oh, wait, I mean, I that's know. a classic. That's a I don't know. I kind of yeah. love Dr. Phil, and I kind of feel like that's a... That's a hot take. That's an unacceptable opinion, but I really do. I do hey, kind of like him. Hey, let's do a mini on, like, your top five, <laughs> like, the best, the top five, like, most ridiculous Dr. Phil, like, episode titles. Do you know what I mean? Like, the... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. There are some good ones. I mean, I don't watch his show a lot, but I uh and I I yeah, I do like it. I mean, though. 90 Day Fiance is my guilty pleasure. Yeah. I mean, I've got some guilty pleasures. Okay. So she said she truly believed at the time that Daniel had seen what he'd said and that it wasn't until later that she realized that it was just another one of his lies that she'd gotten wrapped up in. At Daniel's trial, the defense tried to shift focus to Rachel and had asked a few witnesses about her. An ex-boyfriend and an acquaintance both described her as manipulative and calculating. But I'm like, why are you bringing an acquaintance up on the stand to talk about this girl and also an ex-boyfriend? 
you know, another woman testified that Buffett had told her that she would be willing to kill someone if she knew she'd get away with it. And I just feel like I've said worse <laughs> on this podcast, so God forbid. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you just kind of say stuff like that, like, oh, I'd kill if I could get, you know, I don't know. You wouldn't, but I would. <laughs> I mean, yes. But I wouldn't actually do it, you know? Right. I, how many times? Every single person has been like, oh, I'm going to kill them if they don't put the laundry right. away. Or, or I could kill them. Yes. Yeah. But I'm not, I wouldn't actually say, though, oh, yeah, I'd kill someone for money if I get away with it. Like, that's different than like, right. I'm no, going to kill you yeah. if you don't. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't like just want to, you know, sh- shoot a man in Reno just to watch him die, you know? What is that a quote from? It's just a saying. I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Mm. Sounds like a country song. Oh, it's a Johnny Cash song? Oh, I was right. Sounds like a country song. It's, yeah, when I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy. Don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Johnny Cash. I wonder if that's true, Johnny. Folsom Prison Blues is the name of the song. I had no idea where that saying came from. Now I know. California blues, prison blues. All right. But Rachel also gave police tons of evidence against Daniel, and Daniel never implicated her in the crime himself. But detectives were still certain that she was involved more than they could prove. They even thought it was possible that she'd hatched the plot to kill Julie to cover up Sam's murder with Daniel. They said she'd lied to detectives multiple times and that she often looked like she was trying to cry when she was speaking with them. Both Sam and Julie's family think that Rachel was in on it because of her lie about the man in the hat. Rachel also had told investigators that Sam had confided to her that he was having family troubles. His family all say everything was great, but those texts that Dan sent to lure Julie talk about family issues. So it seems like Rachel's story is backing up Dan's fake story. Right. But Rachel said she doesn't know why Sam told her that if there are no family issues. Well, how often was she talking to Sam? I don't know. They were just downstairs neighbors, you know. Right, so but, like, I don't talk I to don't my think... neighbor about my family problem. Well, this was, like, that type of complex where, like, everybody yeah. kind of hung out. Like, they were invited to their wedding, you know. Like, they had the invitation in the apartment. Yeah. But I doubt very often. I doubt, like, her and Sam were hanging out very often. Just the two of them. And in November of 2018, a jury found Rachel guilty of being an accessory after the fact. And she was sentenced to 32 months in jail. So I guess she would be out now. Maybe she is out at the bars. Yeah. Well, now. Well, then she gets out and it's COVID time. (laughs) Yeah. Now that she's out, I don't think. Now that I know that, I don't think she's out chatting about it at the bars with her friends. She probably lost a lot of friends. She would have served maybe. I don't. And I don't. I didn't have really any information on how much time she actually served. I couldn't find anything that told me that she'd been released. And I I did look, but I couldn't find anything that said that she had already been released or anything. So I'm not sure what her status well, all is. All I know is she lost a lot of friends, so she's not out at the bars. Yes. And um okay, so this case ended up having a little bit of a connection to us. Oh. Because uh I hope Eminem released uh. an album Called no, not a connection to us. Uh-huh, uh-huh, to both of us. No. Yes. Called Murder to, or uh, Music to be Murdered by. And on a song called Killer, he says, but for all you know, I probably act like I'm da- Daniel Wozniak. I'm a psychopathic killer. That's a terrible lyric. It's a terrible album name. Music, Music to be wanna... murdered by? <laughs> yeah. What? That's, that is trash it's actually good and i'm pretty sure that he just found daniel wozniak's name because it rhymed yeah because he's a terrible artist i hate him i shouldn't say i hate him he's just you can't back that up so i'm not even gonna argue with you about it. what that he's a terrible artist yes i like there's literally nothing you can say that would back that up. I know. Anyway. I mean, I know I can't change your mind, but like, I truly do believe that. You can't change your mind <laughs> I because do. it's false. Because it's false. You're wrong. I mean, that's fine. You can think that, but you're wrong. I mean, that's fine Hang on. that you think that and you're wrong. Speaking of music, I've been on a huge Selena kick lately. 
And oh. I'm really sad that it's not rodeo season right now. I mean, it's rodeo season, but. But no rodeo. You're right. All right, people. Rodeo. Don't you dare oh, fill my I headphones just, with that. I just got it to the exact right spot. There it was. Hang on. Turning that up. I just like your dance moves there. He's in that song. Eminem. You know what my relation is to that? Is I made Eminem cookies last week. Ooh. And I don't, I need to figure out how to like cut the recipe because it makes way too many. And then we just eat them for like a week. It's gross. Mm, I could, I could go for some of those. Hey, peeps and creeps. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from all of you. So please find us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at CreepersPod. You can also email Kristen and I any feedback or case suggestions at CreepersPod at gmail.com. And don't forget to comment, like, or leave a review. And thank you to everyone who left us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love them so much every time we get one in. We see who's going to be the first to screenshot it. A <laughs> five-star review, though. <laughs> yes. Thank you for all the five-star reviews. They help us out in such a big way. So if you liked this episode and you have an iPhone, we would be so, so appreciative if you just take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a review. And be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you will have our next episode as soon as it drops when I will tell Mogab another wild story. And I start catching on about halfway through now. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, peeps and creeps.